Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're doing part two of a three-part series talking about the paradoxes of great leadership. In fact, it's based on a book that you have coming out called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. Uh, So you want to talk about paradoxes really quick? Yeah, I just have come to believe that successful leaders, effective leaders today, um, aren't just one way. It's not an either-or leader. Um, It's, in fact, both and. So paradoxes are when you have two seemingly contradictory realities that you think, oh, those couldn't go together, but in fact, they must go together. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about one of those paradoxes, but you're right, I found eight that I see in very extraordinary, uncommon leaders, men and women today, that um, I put in this book. And today we'll just do a case study, but listeners, I hope you enjoy this. I hope it's helpful and relevant. It sure has been for me. I'm actually working consciously on this paradox right now. I love it. I love it. Well, if you are interested and and haven't yet listened to the first part of this series, go back and listen uh, to that first podcast. But today we're diving in to, uh, as I I personally, this uh, this, I think this might be my favorite paradox. I know you said you're working on it today, but it's all about uh, confidence and humility. So walk us through Okay, so my case study in this particular chapter is a leader that we've all, most of us have heard of, Bob Iger, who just resigned as the CEO of the Walt Disney Enterprise. Yeah. So Bob Iger replaced Michael Eisner, remember his name? Yep. Uh, as CEO of the Walt Disney Enterprise in 2005. These two leaders could not have been more polar opposite. So interesting. Both effective. Yeah. But Michael Eisner was a very strong arm uh in fact, so strong and so stubborn that over time, he grew increasingly isolated and overbearing. Mm. Even the board members would kind of go, what is up with him? And I don't know if just his ego got the best of him, but he got so confident that he got overconfident, Yeah, uh, cocky, arrogant, yep. that yep. sort of thing. So um, over the years, Eisner grew this way, and it ultimately led to shareholder uh, revolt, really. Yeah. That's the best way. I we mean, don't want this fight, guy but, anymore. Yeah. yeah, so he got he got kicked out. And of course, Bob Iger, who had been at ABC um, under the Disney uh, parent umbrella, was asked to step up and become CEO. Well, during this period, um, Bob Iger, who again had been at the at, at a- ABC, had not ever been leading totally a company that sold movies, plush toys, theme park tickets. Food, yeah, you know, you so name multifaceted. It, it really yeah. is. They are in the entertainment industry in every sh- way, shape, and form. Yeah. So he realized, oh my gosh, uh, this is going to be all new. So in most of experience, as most of his experience as the new CEO of Disney, he said, "I felt like a rookie." Mm. In fact, he even said this in his story that he wrote. I felt like a rookie being called up to the big leagues. Uh, his autobiography, called "The Ride of a Lifetime," details how each stage of his career, he was asked to do something he'd never done before and always on an increasingly larger platform with more people watching (laughs) and more at stake, more money to be earned or whatever. So here's a good for instance. When Capital Cities Communications bought ABC, it blindsided everyone in the company. Uh, Nobody saw it coming. That's right. Almost immediately, Bob was asked to become the president of ABC Entertainment. And here's what he said in his book that kind of gives you the feeling of his own humanity. Yeah. He said, it wasn't quite leaping without a parachute, but it felt a lot like a free fall at first. Yeah. He said, I told myself, you have a job. They're expecting you to turn this business around. Your inexperience can't be an excuse for failure. Wow. 
So he resolved, I'm humbled by this opportunity, but I cannot let that get in the way yeah. of me succeeding. That's powerful. That is powerful. And I'm trying to think of how many leaders could we point to who would say something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah, that's right. Uh, lots of people say, you know, I don't really know much about it, so if I fail, I can just point to, I didn't know yeah. anything about it, yeah. so that gives me an excuse. And him, he, he's here saying... The fact that I don't have experience, I can't let that be an excuse. So I've got to find a way to mitigate that. I've got to find a way to lead differently. And that's exactly that sums right. him up really well, I think. Yeah. So Bob Iger differentiated himself from Michael Eisner, uh, a more experienced Michael Eisner, by the way, in that he never let go of his humble, teachable mindset as he forged ahead. He remained authentic. He believed the first rule of leadership, and I love this, is don't fake anything. Yeah. They're going to sense it if you're faking it. <laughs> yes. You know? So I want to read a direct quote, listeners, that I think you're going to like because it so summarizes what I'm trying to say. He said, you have to be humble, and you can't pretend to be someone you're not or to know something you don't. You're also in a position of leadership, though, so you can't let humility prevent you from leading. Mm. It's a fine line and something I preach today. You have to ask the questions you need to ask, admit without apology what you don't understand, and do the work to learn what you need to learn as quickly as you can. Wow. I just believe Iger lived by this rule. And it was a paradox. Absolutely. Yeah, it represents a recognition of some of what we talked about in, in the podcast number one on this. As the complexities that we're facing in our leadership get more and more difficult, it takes somebody like this to recognize when um, I need to be asking questions when I don't yeah. know things, but I also need to, at the same time, speak with confidence Yes, um, in the face of so much uncertainty and confusion that we're experiencing today, right? So it does really require exactly what he's talking about to lead in yeah. these conversations. Complex times. I think sometimes leaders, particularly leaders that have a twinge of an ego yeah. at work, would say, I can't ask questions. They'll think I don't know. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. In fact, they'll know you don't know by faking it. Yeah. So I, I'm learning this too. I'm, I'm human. But I'm telling you, Bob did such a great job. I want to give you one quick example. It's a story in the midst of his journey. So after he took over... Um, at Disney, he started learning what had just happened uh, over the last several years. What had just happened was Michael Eisner was trying to buy Pixar from Steve Jobs. So Pixar's a great brand. Steve Jobs was an icon, a legend. But here's what's interesting. Um, these were two egos that were butting heads every time Jobs yeah. and uh, uh, Eisner got together. So Bob waits a few months for the dust to settle, and everybody realizes he's now the man in charge. But he contacts Steve Jobs, and he says, Steve, I don't think we know each other. I'm pretty sure you don't know me. But I'd love to get together with you and, and just chat. And Steve agreed. And Bob essentially said this. He said, I know this has been a little bit of a struggle trying to think how Pixar and Disney could work together. But he said, I got to tell you, it's two great companies, and I can't help but think we'd be better together. Mm. I know it's a crazy idea. That's what he said. I know it's a crazy idea. And that's when Steve Jobs said, it's not a crazy idea. So here's this Mr. Ego. He was. Yeah. Because somebody came in with humility, said, well, that's not a crazy idea. Yeah. Now, had he come in and say, you know, Disney's bigger than Pixar. And we, yeah. You, you know. He You're lucky he, to even be having this that's conversation. That's exactly yeah. right. And we do that, especially as males, I think. Yeah. So he comes in humbly. Well, you know what happened. Disney buys Pixar. Now, here's the clincher. Disney purchases Pixar, but then I, uh, uh, Bob Iger immediately put Pixar in charge of all Disney animation. Yeah. So the one that just got bought 
is in charge. Yeah. Isn't this counterintuitive? Yeah. But there's the humble and confident. Yep. He said, you guys know this deal. Yep. We'll buy you. We'll treat you well. But since you know so much, please tell us what to do. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And Confidence, humility. That takes a major humility because Disney not only had more resources at that time, they also had a deeper catalog, right? They yeah. had so many success stories in the that's past. Right. Why would they look at this young upstart Pixar yeah. and think, we need to learn from them? But that's exactly yeah. what he did. It's exactly what he did. It's so amazing. it's a paradox. Well, yeah, you've hinted at the paradox here, but we haven't really doubled down on what actually is the paradox. So let's see. Talk to us about what we can learn from Bob Iger and, and what this paradox really looks like. Okay. So I just believe it's a requirement to combine these two attributes, confidence and humility, when approaching leadership today. Reality changes so quickly. So I can't be overconfident. I'll miss something, yeah. right? You're not, your antennas aren't up when you're overconfident. Leaders cannot become arrogant, but must instead remain in a learning posture. At the same time, team members long for their leader to inspire them. Uh, I, I just think... People need confidence from their yeah. leader, but they also desire humility from their leader. Yeah. When you get both, you got a loyal follower coming at you. Absolutely, absolutely. It makes me think of a statement that you've said to me for many, many years. In fact, I've heard you teach on it many times, but uh, people people need clarity more than certainty, yeah. right? And that clarity comes from the confidence mm -hmm. of the leader standing yeah. up and going, listen, I'm still learning here. Yeah. I've got a few questions for you guys, right? But here's the way I think we're going to go. Here's what we're going to be sure about, right? Yeah. And that confidence, even in the midst of the humility, creates that feeling of, you know what, that's a person I want to mm -hmm. follow. That's exactly right. So listeners, let me give you in your imaginations two columns, okay? Left-hand column, right-hand column. I want to give you a summary of this paradox. Uh, so on the left-hand side is my confidence and what it does for me. On the right-hand side is my humility and mm -hmm. what it does for me. So my confidence makes my leadership believable. Yeah. But my humility makes my confidence believable. <laughs> yeah. I actually think you're not a spin doctor. You're not smoking something yeah. out there. You know, you're, you're actually in touch with reality. Absolutely. How many leaders have we had where they're, they keep saying things really confidently, yeah. and you're like, do you know anything about what you're talking <laughs> That's right. about? Yeah. yeah, it's so true. Um, number two, my confidence communicates energy and certainty. Yeah. My humility communicates trustworthiness. Yeah. You yeah, can trust me because yeah. I realize we don't have all the answers. My confidence fosters creativity and participation. I found when I was under a confident leader in Dr. Maxwell, man, I want to be more creative because I know we're going to get this goal. Mm. My humility fosters authenticity and participation. I can be real because my leader is real. My confidence causes teammates to be passionate. Yeah. You tend to be more passionate when you're under a confident leader. My humility causes team members to be loyal. That's true. Isn't that rich? Yeah. I've got one more. My confidence is contagious in others, and my humility is contagious in others. That's true. I think it's more caught than taught, and that's for both confidence and humility. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that you compared the two and showed some contrasting things, but then when you come down to it, you're exactly right. Uh, the two most attractive characteristics of a leader may be confidence and humility, yeah. right? Because isn't that the kind of leader we want to follow? They know where they're going, but they're also not too proud to recognize mm -hmm. when they need help. I love that. Our world is too savvy for just an over-cocky leader yeah. that just is, is full of hubris and ego. And yeah. So if I were to, in a phrase or two, kind of summarize this and tie a ribbon around it, it would be, it would be with this phrase. In today's complex world, people are looking for someone with a clear sense of confidence. Teams seldom move forward without seeing it in their leader. 
At the same time, people demand that a leader's confidence doesn't blind them to their own humanity. Yeah. Leaders believe in themselves, but they don't believe they can do it alone. Uh, Doc, uh, Dr. Keltner said, and I love this quote, the seductions of power induce us to lose the very skills that enabled us to gain power in the first place. Mm. Wow. So this is just a must. I want you to consider this, listeners. And of course, if you want to go deeper, the book is coming out, and I just I had so much fun documenting these case studies in this chapter. Absolutely. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is just one of the eight paradoxes that are in this book. It's called the Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. I cannot encourage you enough to go pick up this resource. So here's how it's going to work. The book is going to release on November second, but I really want to encourage you: don't wait until then to go ahead and order it. In fact, pre-order it right now. When you do, you get a whole bunch of uh, additional resources that are really amazing. So let me read off some of these. Uh, when you pre-order the book, you get 10 micro-learning videos that overview each chapter in the book. Uh, you get a quiz for you to take to find out how, how well you're practicing these eight paradoxes. You get a sample chapter from the book, so you can go ahead and start reading it. Uh, there's a 22-minute video you're going to get of, of Dr. Elmore here talking about the book. And then we are also, for our people here at Growing Leaders, we're also going to send you another free resource. It's a brand new ebook we're putting out called Leading a Generation of Paradox. It talks about the paradoxes we face in leading today's students as well. So if you want to get all of those resources, head on over to timelmore.com slash book, and you can pre-order it there. That's timelmore.com slash book, and you'll be able to pre-order it there. We'd love for you to go ahead and do that, and that way you're going to go ahead and get all those resources I just mentioned right now. Uh, so that would be really awesome. Um, if, if you would like to rate this podcast, give us five stars. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, we would love for you to do that. Uh, if you found this helpful, please share it with a friend. Pass it along to somebody that you know. If you'd like to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, things you want us to talk about, people we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. Tim, thank you so much for leading us today and for writing this book. You guys head on over to timelmore.com slash book and pick it up today. We will see you next time.